Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to a special post-draft episode of Flyer and Ice, brought to you by the Heat Ratio Sports Network. This is episode 24, and in honor of Nikki Nuts, who's not with us today, we'll call this the Sammy Kapanen episode. My apologies to Derek Smith. You know I'm old school, Nick. You know I'm old school. That would have been my choice, so. Yeah, we can go. We'll go go co-Derek Smith, Sammy. I am Dan Green. With me, as always, is Nick Tosti and Vance Crew. And our special guest today is Mr. Matt Moran, a junior scout. Matt, please, uh, first of all, sorry, thank you for joining us. And uh, please tell the viewers a little about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Good to be here. Always fun uh, talking hockey with buddies. And I've been scouting uh, ever since I realized I wasn't good enough to play. anymore and you know started off right after school coaching you know u16 in the philadelphia area here with the junior flyers and um you know was a a regional kind of part-time volunteer scout for the chicago steel starting in 2009 and worked my way up um you know was assistant general manager there um you know towards the end that team um you know sold to another local owner and has turned into you know the model junior franchise uh in the united states um they've done an amazing job two clark cups and you know number of you know high-end draft picks and, and just great kids they've done a great job there and uh also spent a lot of time uh north of the border um scouting for ohl central scouting kind of running the area here and um you know joining the windsor spitfire staff in 2012 uh, or 13 and uh now work for the sioux greyhounds um you know in, in the ontario hockey very impressive resume and what better person, gentlemen, to the, than to recap the 2021 draft that we just had? Now, it got off to an interesting start. Uh, we, we were all hoping and that the Flyers would have a pick to discuss, but they, you know, made some moves. So, um, I guess, Nick, why don't you kick us off? Matt, welcome aboard, buddy. Thanks for having yeah, uh, come on the show with us. Uh, I'm sure our audience will be uh, quite dazzled by your uh, your charm and, and inspiration on what you can bring as far as uh, shedding insight here. No pressure. Certainly no not. Pressure. <laughs> um, but before we get to the NFL draft, um, we had you know the crack the Kraken expansion draft. Give, yeah. give us your thoughts on the direction they went. It seemed like there were there were quite a few surprises there. What do you think? That was really interesting. I think uh, a lot of folks were expecting it to look maybe a little bit more like Vegas with some. Big marquee players, you know, signing long-term contracts. Remember the flurry deal they did with Pittsburgh. Um, but they also paid a bunch of guys, you know, a bunch, you know, they got paid a lot to not take players. And I think, you know, no one looked at that roster in Vegas in 17 and said, this team's going to, you know, compete for a Stanley Cup, you know, five years from now, let alone, you know, in the first season. And, um, you know, that team was certainly motivated and built in a different way, uh, you know, than Seattle. But the world was different then too, right? It's apparent that, you know, the Kraken staff, you know, put a, a real premium on cap space. Um, you know, they weren't willing to take bad contracts for, you know, a player's trophy case, right? Hey, this guy did a whole bunch of stuff in the past, but he's got a, you know, a, a, a lot of money owed to him and, you know, his best years are behind him. And we're going to also free up another team in a flat cap world to go be competitive around us. That just wasn't happening. Um, and I think, you know, Ron Francis and the group learned that, you know what, we'll just take the player. Another team said, we'll just give you the player. Right. You know, I think Anaheim paid Vegas a pick or two to keep Kevin Bieksa and they took Shea Theodore instead. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I bet you didn't want to punt on that one. You know, no disrespect to, you know, those players or picks, but Seattle went in it with the mentality of we're going to use our cap space as a resource. And there's a lot of people that they can still go out 
and get Gabriel Landis-Cog is one of the best leaders in the league, and he's unsigned, right? They've got $30 million of room to work with, and free agency starts tomorrow. So, you know, I think people were quick to judge what Vegas did, and everyone was proved wrong, right? And the, the flash reaction looking at Seattle's roster, they've got great goaltending and a great decor. That decor is pretty mean and, and, and hard to play against. I think they, they need some forwards. It's not a surprise. They need some depth. They need some guys that can shoot the puck. Um, but they've got plenty of time to, to address that and get that done. And I don't think people are going to be as quick to judge based on what happened in Vegas as they are here. Although, you know, definitely some surprises for people I talk to around the league of how they went about building, you know, the group day one. But that doesn't mean that's going to be the 23 guys that hit the sheet in September or October, right? Right. And, and back in the day, did you expect Tuck and Carlson to be as great as they have been since joining Vegas? Are there yeah. players that could be like that on Seattle that just take the next step? You know, I don't think anyone saw William Carlson scoring 41 goals in his first year, right, in a prominent role. And, you know, they're all coming from different environments where their role necessarily wasn't the same. You know, I scouted Alex Tuck when he was playing junior hockey before he went to the program and just bigger, better, faster than everyone else. And, you know, played great at the NTDP first round pick. And then his draft plus one year didn't make the world junior team, right, as a returning player. So, you know, these are young kids that, that, that ebb and flow through cycles. And it's, it's all about opportunity, right? And in a, in, a, in a cap world, you know, someone's pigeonholed into a role because the money doesn't work. And sometimes you just need a, a kick in the butt to be motivated by telling you the team that invested in you doesn't want you anymore. And you go out and prove it. And I don't know what he signed for, but he doesn't have to worry about, you know, money for the rest of his life. And he's built a great career for himself and has plenty of runway in front of him. So it's hard. Who are we to judge how it's going to work in Seattle with the staff they've built? And, you know, they'll find their core. They'll be fine. Um, they're just doing it in a different way. Partially, I think, because the world's different. Like, how do you, how do you take a contract from someone like a JVR who's got a bunch of years left at seven million? They're not going to be able to move that in a flat cap environment, right? And they just paid six hundred and fifty million bucks for a team, and now you want buyout money two years in? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, getting back to our Flyers, as I alluded to earlier, we we gave up our number one pick in a risk the line and trade, but we also prior to the draft. Uh, acquired Ryan Ellis for Nolan Patrick and Phil Myers. Yep. Then we got rid of Ghost for cap release. I just mentioned Rasmus Rastelina for Hag uh, first uh, at a, a 2023 second. Yeah. Then Voracek straight up for Cam Atkinson. Today we just acquired um, Heath Yandel for, for 950000 So yeah. it, the Flyers have a lot of things going on. So the thing that I'm really curious about is – First, your thoughts on Ristolainen and his analytics that many have said are horrible, but I feel like that could be explained away. I just, I'd like to hear your opinion on Ristolainen. And also, after you talk about Ristolainen, can you talk about um, do you have hope for Patrick and Myers moving forward despite the fact that I think it was a coup getting Ellis? Yeah, um, you know, it's no secret or surprise to people that pay attention that, you know, Ristolainen's, you know, fancy stats, advanced stats are just objectively bad. Um, but Buffalo's bad, right? They've picked first overall or second overall a bunch in the last handful of years, and something's just off there. They, they haven't gotten it right. They've given out bad contracts. They're not hard to play against. Um, and I think that the Flyers management group, is making a directional bet on the ability of a big, raw, hard to play against 
guy having a bounce back season in a contract year, right? Look, players are more expensive. It's hard to evaluate trades over individual periods of years because costs change, right? Buffalo was, you know, had a for sale sign up front basically. Um, and, you know, Chuck Fletcher and Brent Flaher are really good at what they do. And they're making a bet, right? That, hey, if we don't get this right the next two or three years, that first round pick at 13th overall this year isn't going to matter because we're not going to be here, right? So we have some issues that we need to address based on what we saw our team do the last two years, whether it's inside the locker room or on the ice or a combination of both. Um, and, you know, that was a team last year that wasn't hard to play against, right? They didn't really have an identity. They couldn't play, you know, multiple ways. Most nights are all great players and, and, and great guys, and it's a hard league. And, you know, COVID year, you're turning around quick, but they needed to make changes. And in Ristolainen, you're getting a big guy who's nasty. And, you know, maybe he's now playing, you know, I don't know who they're going to pair him with. It'll be interesting now that Keith Yandel's in the fold because he probably slots into the three spot with Justin Braun. Um, you know, and you would think that they would pair Ellis and, and, and Provorov together. Um, so, you know, maybe it's Sandheim and, and Risto, who knows, right? But, um, you know, maybe he plays with someone that calms him down a little bit. There's not a lot of pressure to, you know, play at both ends and just be nasty to play against, be a good first passer, get pucks up the ice and get off. Um, so it's a steep price to pay. The sticker shock was was high for a lot of fans. I'm sure you want to get up there and pick, you know, your whether it's good or bad, you earn the right to pick at 13. And there were some good players there, um, you know, that could have helped. But in the eyes of the management group, it's not going to matter if we don't get it right because that guy's going to be successful on someone else's watch. They have to win. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, um, you know, stats are important. It's part of the puzzle, not the whole thing, right? It's one piece of the orchestra. Um, but they're making a bet that he can turn it around. And if he doesn't, you know, see you later. And real quick, do you – you know, obviously, when trades are made, ideally both teams should benefit, right? You don't want to, you don't want to necessarily fleece a team because then they're not going to want to deal with you in the future. So we got Alice a, a piece we desperately needed. Yeah. Do you believe that going forward, both Nolan Patrick and Phil Myers will rebound and get their career trajectory on path? Yeah, I think so. I think that was a great hockey trade for for both sides, Dan. Um, you know, Ryan Ellis is a player that they've coveted for a long time. Um, He's a, you know, Windsor Spitfire before my time, one of the most legendary Windsor Spitfires ever. Uh, I think he made the Canadian World Junior Team when he was 16 or 17 playing in a cage. Um, you know, just unbelievable, tenacious, moves the puck, kills the puck from the point on the blue line. Maybe he slots Provorov down to a second power play guy, where he's probably a little bit more comfortable. But to give, to get, you have to give, right? And um, I know that it wasn't Fletcher and Brent that brought in Phil Myers, but if you look at just asset management and turning – you know, a pretty riskless guy like Phil Myers, who they signed as a free agent, didn't cost you any draft capital, right? Played 120 plus games for you, earned a second contract on a one way, right? Kind of got boxed out. Their defense was a bunch of the same type of player to an extent last year. And you can turn someone like that who's really, he is what he's going to be, great kid. But you turn someone like that who cost you nothing other than dollars into Ryan Ellis, I'll do that deal all day long, right? And I think Nolan Patrick's the price you pay to do that. And it's really, really sad what's happened to him off the ice, right? With the migraine syndrome and it's, it's documented. He's had a history of concussions and a lot of pressure coming on him, you know, into the NHL as a second overall pick. And, you know, you're always judged by who's taken right after you. Right. And you look at Miro Heskinen just signed for 80 million bucks in Dallas is going to win a Norris trophy. And, you know, no one comes into the NHL as an 18 or 19 year old playing second line, third line center. That's really, really hard to do. 
and he's a big right shot, retrieves pucks, can kill it, but it's a hard adjustment, right? You can't send him to the American League. He's not going to get any better going back to Brandon. So now he gets to go to Vegas. He gets a fresh start. He's playing for his coach and junior. Kelly McCrimmon's the general manager there. You have to think he's motivated to earn, you know, a, a non-qualifying multi-year contract in a, in a team where maybe you can shield him a little bit more, where the expectation isn't to come in and, and blow it out right away and put 25 goals on the board as a second overall pick in a group where, you know, he's not playing first power play, right? You go to Vegas, he's slotted maybe down a little bit, eats a few less minutes, gets his health back to where it needs to be, which is most important, um, you know, and, and, and you want both sides to win the deal. But in terms of a hockey trade, for the Flyers, it's a home run. Guys like Ryan Ellis don't grow on trees. And, um, you know, you could argue that, hey, if we had to give up a first-round pick in this year's draft and it wasn't for – you're fine giving it up if it gets you Ellis, right? So, um, you know, that deal won't be evaluated that way. But if you walk out of that draft with no first-rounder and two top-four defensemen that can play right now, you did pretty good. Agreed. Yeah, I think we all agree with that. Um, Matt. Uh, my question for you is, what is your initial thoughts on the Flyers' second-round pick, Samu Tuomala? How do you feel about that pick? Yeah, so, you know, I didn't spend any time in Finland during COVID, um, you know, watching him play. But, um, you know, you, you make calls around the league and you talk to guys. And, I mean, he, he's a high-end scoring talent. Uh, he can absolutely fly. He shoots the puck. He pushes the pace, which I think is a lot of what this group was maybe lacking, right? And I, I, I know, Dan, you mentioned Cam Atkinson. Um, you know, as well getting acquired, you know, he kind of plays that way. I don't know if he's going to score 40 goals like Cam did in Columbus, but he's a guy that plays with pace and pushes the pushes the pace and, you know, puts the puck on net. He's a dog and grinder. Um, he's going to go back to Finland this year and play for Carpat in, the, in Liga. He played in the U-20 this year. He's over here at the World Junior Camp, I believe, in Plymouth. Um, you know, right now he should make the World Junior team. And I know that a bunch of teams I talked to, you know, into and out of the draft had a first-round grade on him. Um, you know, so, you know, certainly it's bright, but I think he's, he's a couple of years away from, from contributing. If you just look at the way the, the contract situations look up front and, um, you know, it's fine to, to take a guy and wait, especially in a year like this, where, you know, rankings are all over the board. Yeah. I personally like the idea of the flyers going away from what they normally do and picking two way forwards. I like the idea of bringing a guy in that's a skater that can potentially be a scorer for you. So I think that was a, a potentially good move for the flyers. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, they have guys that can score goals, but they, they don't really have a, a pure trigger guy, right? Yeah. Like a line A or someone that's really just going to crack it from anywhere. And, um, you know, maybe he becomes that, maybe he doesn't. But in terms of uh, putting a, you know, mid-second round grade on a guy that a lot of people had in the first, it's, you know, pretty good, pretty good value. Matt, is there anybody that uh, in this draft that, you know, for me, a couple of names come to mind of going surprisingly a little bit early, perhaps like a Boucher and, and some players going a little bit late, like yeah. maybe a, what happened to a Ratty or a Chibrikov or, or a Pinelli. Um, where, where, do, you, do you feel like a, a player or two um, was just completely off base and where they went? Yeah, I think early is relative, Nick, I think. And, you know, Boucher is a great example. Um, Obviously biased. He's a fellow Avon Old Farms winged beaver like myself. Um, we drafted him in Windsor in the OHL. He went to the you know the national team program, and you know players that play his way don't go that high, right? I think teams that are picking in the top ten are there for a reason. They put a big premium on skill and other things, but you know, and I'm not comparing him at all in any sense to Tom Wilson. But 31 other teams would kill to get a guy like that on their roster, and this guy scores goals from two feet out in front of the net. He's been hampered by injury for the last two years in Plymouth. 
Um, you know, he had a great start to the year before getting hurt again. And I think that if he had, had been able to play a full season, um, you know, no one's really surprised by him going 10 overall. And this, it's, it's not to demean, you know, the accomplishment. You know, he's got a pro dad. You watch him for two shifts and you say, hey, this kid learned the game from someone who did it for a living. Um, he's a heck of a hockey player. He's going to play for a long time. Um, but it's only rich relative to what other people feel about it. Ottawa wants to build their team a certain way. Brady Kachuk was taken at four, and people dogged that because they didn't think his skating was good enough. Well, that, you know, he competes his nuts off, and he's impossible to play against. He's going to be an all-star and their captain. And so in Tyler Boucher, that team is sticking to an identity. Could they have moved down a couple to get him? You know, to the casual viewer, maybe, but there were a bunch of teams that had him in the top 15, right? And if they move down once and someone says, hey, this could be the same thing, they move up, and now he's gone. Um, you know, so early is, is relative. I don't want to, to phrase it. It was a reach to take him. But you don't see players that play that way, um, you know, go that high traditionally. Tom Wilson went 16, but it was the Caps' second first-round pick. They took Philip Forsberg five spots prior, and teams tried to move up to take him. So good on Ottawa. It's a great accomplishment for, for Tyler and his family. And, um, you know, he's going to be a heck of a hockey player. He already is, and we'll see what he does at BU. And I think, you know, from a, from a late-round perspective, um, blown away that Dylan Duke fell to Tampa in the fourth round. Um, you know, again, Al Murray and his guys go and get their type of player late, right? Kucherov, third round, Braden Point, third round. Dylan Duke is an exceptional hockey player. Um, you know, he's not going to blow you away with his size or his speed. He's a dog on a bone, and he's a guy that you win championships with in the NHL, right? Um, stars kind of cancel each other out a little bit in playoffs when the chips are down and Tampa goes and wins two in a row because they're just deeper than everybody else. And guys are playing probably a slot below where they would play on other teams, and they just kill it. Um, you know, Dylan Duke's an incredible player. Um, you know, he gets inside, he uses his body, he goes to the net, he doesn't play like he's 5'10". No one's ever told him he's not 6'3". And he plays that way, and he's got a lot of time. Um, you know, Tampa knocks it out of the park. Um, you know, a local kid that I was surprised that fell late was Ryan Ufko from the Chicago Steel and the Avalanche to Nashville in the fourth round. Um, you know, the boots aren't there, great defensemen. Um, you know, good skater. He's not, you know, he's not flying around the ice up and down. Uh, but one of the smartest players I've ever scouted. He's in the Adam Fox category, right? Him to Nashville in the fourth is an absolute steal. He's going to go to UMass, which is one of the best college programs in the country, um, and learn and develop there under a great staff, Jared Michael, Greg Carvel, and he's going to be a heck of a hockey player, um, you know, as well. And so you, you compare that to Chicago taking Nolan Allen in the first round, um, you know, out of the Western League, you know, big guy but no offense right at all and so you know maybe that was an organizational need for them um but the game's changing a little bit and I, you know that's a guy you can get laid and not saying that Ufko or dylan duke were first round picks but where they went and the value that was around them is, right. is pretty remarkable and it's you know two really good drafting teams you know striking again i would love to know where tampa had dylan duke on their board that's who i was hoping that the flyers would look at it at, for their third and fourth round picks. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and when, when Tampa drafted him, it, it almost validates everything you're thinking. Okay, if Tampa, you know, if Tampa's got right. another one, he's like you said, the Patriots in the NFL, they're signing a free agent that no one else wants. It's like, shit, what do they see? Mm -hmm. Right. That, that, that we don't. Right. So, um, you know, good on them. So this draft, um, we were told uh, we had, you know Chris Peters, correct? Oh, yeah. Well. So, so we had Chris on a few months ago, and he, he did not look at this draft as a generational draft by any means. This was not the McDavid-Eichel at all draft of, of, 
a handful of years ago. That being said, you, you already referenced Braden Point. He went 79th in his draft year. Yeah. Artemi Panarin wasn't even drafted. So there are plenty of impact players that we could we could go on and on with that um, are dominating the league. So with that in mind, even though there wasn't a, quote, needle mover in this draft, is there anyone that you could see that becomes that next guy? Uh, if, if you're going to just, you know, we'll, we'll – We'll make notes now and, and show your brilliance later. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in a year like this where it's so hard to get crossover viewings because of COVID and things like that, there's a number of these, right? But one that really jumps out to me was Dallas taking Logan Stankoven at 47, um, their first of back-to-back picks in the second round. I think it was 47 or 48, um, you know, from Kamloops in the Western League. I think he's from Kamloops. Um you know, scored the game-winning goal in the U18 uh, in Dallas uh, or in Dallas last year. Um, you know, he just scores huge goals. He scored 30 as a rookie in the Western League, which is really, really, really hard to do. Um, we were shocked. You know, a bunch of us going back and forth were shocked that he fell down there, right? And it, it's all about opportunity. And he plays a game that fits the way Dallas plays really well, right? They want to grind you down, and they're big, and they move, and they're hard to play against. And he's 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 all of it. Um, not the biggest guy, but ton of upside uh, and great value, you know, for the spot. Um, you know, again, there's there's a bunch of these, um, you know, that you could kind of, you know, hope that they turn out to be needle movers, but it's all just relative to where, you know, they were taken. I mean, who's not to say that Owen Power is not going to be a needle mover at first overall, right? You've got a big raw kid who still has, you know, baby fat or, you know, chubby, you know, cheeks and 6'6", six, six, 200 pounds. Those guys don't grow on trees, Right. And I think, you know, oh, he's not as exciting because he doesn't move it the way King Quinn Hughes does, but that's okay. You can still win that way, right? If, if you were going to do a redraft of 2009 where all you heard about was Jonathan Tavares for f- five years going into that draft, 10 out of 10 teams would take Victor Hedman over him first overall now, right? So if Owen Power comes in in a down year as first overall and turns into a Victor Hedman, that's incredible value, right, in a, team that, in a team that needs it. So value is all about what you ascribe their future to be. Um, and yeah, there's going to be late picks that, um, you know, that, that, that can, that can play. Um, but you know, I mean, the guy that was Mr. Irrelevant, Nico Hooten, right. Six, four last overall pick, I think to Tampa, um, you know, just a monster of a human being is not in, you know, great shape. Um, you know, big guy in front of the net scores goals where goals get scored in the NHL seventh rounder, a bunch of teams had him in the top 100. He's coming to Everett this year in the Western hockey league. I've never seen him play. This is just talking to guys, right. Um, you know, who's to say he doesn't turn out to be a, a menace when he gets into the NHL, if he can figure it out, right? So I would say that, you know, value is relative. And this year it's it's a bit more of a gamble. Guys are willing to take, you know, gambles like that. And you also wonder if if the Flyers or the um, Predators had taken Braden Point, would he be the same player he is today? Sometimes totally where you land makes all the difference. Yeah, it's all about opportunity, right? And right. You know, you look at the contract situation in Philly and they've, you know, they've latched their horses to, you know, they've they've picked their guys through these trades, right? You see, you know, a locker room leader like Jake Voracek get shipped out for Cam Atkinson. Yeah, it saves you two and a half million bucks a year on the cap, but it's a completely different player and it moves the dynamic in the room, you know, tremendously. Jake was a leader and a mentor to the young guys. Everyone loves him, you know, in the locker room. But, you know, Cam scored over 20 goals, I think, six times in this league, right? And he brings an element that the team, you know, critically lacked in, in his ability to shoot the puck and his, his straight line pace, right? He kills penalties and he can be on your first line power play. You, 
you know, you're rolling out a top six with him and Konechny on the right side. That's pretty, pretty, pretty mm-hmm. substantial improvement, right? The way the game is played now, right? So they went out and addressed a bunch of needs and, you know, hey, Braden Point spent some time in the American Hockey League, right? And, and, and turned into a player in Tampa in a time of need where that type of guy fit. So he comes to Philly, maybe he's boxed out by some legacy contracts that are harder to move, right? So it's, it's all situation-based. Yeah, and, and we've discussed on our show that uh, the Flyers, I believe, tend to baby their players. And what where other teams might call up a player sooner, you know, we we don't. So again, that's an I think you're gonna see more, Yeah, Dan, I think you're gonna see that change as the regime continues to to put their fingerprints all over it, right? Like what they're doing with the coaching staff is really interesting. You got three head coaches behind the bench. I don't think that's ever been done before. Um, you know, you're seeing guys get shots, you know, earlier. I think everyone was, you know, rattled a bit that it took so long to call Carter Harduck, right, under the Hextall regime, right? Look at what they did with a player like Scott Lawton, who's a, a really good buddy of mine. You won't find a bigger fan of Scott than, than, than me. Um, you know, that was a first-round pick who made the team in the lockout year, had to go back to Peterborough as an overage, as a 20-year-old because he could play in the American League, just killing the kids that are 16. He was a captain of Team Canada at the World Junior Team with Connor McDavid on him. And then he makes the NHL and you tell him you're going to send him down to Lehigh Valley to learn how to be a third, fourth line grinder, no power play. I don't know, you know, I'm not, you know, those guys are doing the job, not me, but is that the best organizational management? Like know what you have with your guys and give them a chance to do it, right? And you're seeing it now with, you know, just minutes getting played with guys like Connor Bunneman and Cam York and Carson Torinsky before he left for Seattle. Um, Joel Farabee got a crack right away. I think he played five American League games, scored six goals, and it's never going to go back there in his life, right? So they're giving their guys a shot because they have to. The game's changing, right? And in a cap world, hey, I'll use uh, one of my parking spots in the bottom six on a guy making seven seventy-five instead of $4 million, right? So, you know, it's frustrating because you root for these guys, you know, if you've got relationships with them and you want them to succeed. And, you know, Scott Lawton was on his entry-level deal for five years. Right, kept sliding down to the American League, back to junior. Right, and they told him he had to go be a penalty killer in the American League. It's crazy. Right, you look at him now, and he's one of their more versatile players, and he's beloved in the locker room, and he can play anywhere you want. But it took him a little bit, while, it took the team a longer time to recognize that, and they still move him between center and wing and center and wing. You know, a lot of that inner lineup volatility wears on those guys. Right, they want to know their role and, and do it as best as they can. Um, but they do have some good young pieces that are coming, and you know, I know they're excited about you know, keeping Joel Farabee around and, you know, Carter Hart's going to figure it out. You know, you hope maybe you bring someone in to mentor him and take the load off a little bit, but they're excited. You know, you trade up to get Cam York and, um, you know, they're investing in their young guys, which is what, which is what you have to do. So Matt, you mentioned the one player whose name escapes me that went to Tampa in the seventh round. You said he was a bigger guy and seemed like you were pretty high on him. Are there any, are there any other sleepers in this draft that you think could potentially make an impact in this league? That's the first part of the question. Yeah. And the second part of the question is, are you shocked that any of those sleepers went as late as they did? It's tough. Um, you know, again, I, I don't watch a ton of, you know, these guys throughout the year, um, you know, overseas or what have you. You get what you can get on video or you watch an international tournament. Alexi Malinin uh, was a guy that, you know, people were excited about. He had a decent U18 in Dallas, but he played in the league at 17 years old, right? He's a steady, stay at home, probably a bottom four defenseman in the NHL, but he makes a great first pass and he gets it out of trouble, right? And, you know, you don't need to look any further for how valuable that is than what happened to the Flyers after they didn't replace Matt Niskey, right? Niskey's one of the one of the best first passers in a long, long time. And he calms down his partner and 
makes him easier to play with, and they really suffered last year without someone like that, right? He's a guy that's out there, um, you know, that people have, you know, higher, and, you know, he's playing up a level, but you just, you just don't get the views. Um, you know, there's a bunch of guys, you know, out there. There's a guy, Murchison, many, you know, Ty Murchison, I think. Yes. Right? Phillies took him in the yeah. sixth round or fifth you know, round. A lot, of guys, a lot of guys didn't think he was going to get picked, but – you know, he's a big kid, skates all right, needs some work, but you never know. It's, it's, they're, they're lottery tickets, right? Um, and, again, so much of it is situational to, you know, where where they go, um, you know, and, and, and the development path, if they're coming from junior, if they're coming from college and they get a little bit more time, um, you know, it really just depends on the organization and their needs. Uh, Matt, what do you, what about the third and fourth round picks? Um, you know, Alexei Kolosov uh, out of the KHL, the goalie, and uh, Brian Zanetti out of, Peter, out of Peterborough, the, the defenseman. Yeah, so the defenseman's coming over to Peterborough this year for the first time. Uh, he played in Europe last year. Not not much about him other than, you know, hearing, you know, raw, a lot of upside and, you know, a guy that, you know, they hope in two years or three years when he's ready can be, you know, an American League defenseman with some NHL upside. Um, you know, the goalie from the KHL, don't know much about. Um, but, you know, when you have a guy like Carter Hart, who you hope your franchise is your franchise stalwart for a while, you're drafting organizational depth, right? And whether that guy becomes someone that develops and turns out, great. If not, it's a trade piece. It's an asset to get something else. Um, but, you know, don't know a ton, um, you know, about, about, about the goaltender. All right. Uh, we're going to take a, a, a minor break from the draft. Um, we have – we ask all our knowledgeable guests. Flyers had a year that no one saw coming. Uh, many pundits picked them to go deep, um, and they just absolutely fell apart, had the year from hell. Um, what did you see in that? Do you see them rebounding next year? And are there any players on the team, young players in particular, that you've been actually disappointed with Um since they've been in the NHL? Yeah, it was um, definitely a, a year I don't think anyone expected, especially how, you know, I mean, if you go back to when the league got shut down in February or March of 2020, they were one of the better teams in the league, peaking at the right time. You know, they got down to Tampa, stuck down there, came back, and, you know, the world kind of shut down. You take four or five months off, guys get back to health. They went to the bubble, but great. Um, you know, came out of the gates pretty well, I think, to start the year, and, um, but not much time in between, right? And these are guys that lay it out there all night, every night, right? With their bodies and, you know, they're, they're, they're grinding and it's hard that, you know, they value that recovery. Um, you know, three months off to people like us versus three months off to them is a world of a difference, right? Um, you know, then you get back into a 56-game season compressed. Um, you know, I can tell you that if it was an 82-game season and they were clearly in the playoffs from last year, a handful of those guys probably aren't playing the last 15, 20 games, right? Just, you know, with, with what they put their bodies through, the time they needed to rest and heal. But these guys are warriors, and they go out there and they earn their money, right? And they're playing every night to try and get there and do it for each other. Um, you know, and I think, you know, you heard it at the end of the year with all the guys that had, you know, dinks and dunks and surgery. And, you know, it's like, hey, if, if, if we were locked up, this guy's taking the last 10 games off just to get back to get back to health. But that wasn't the case, and they battled it out. Um you know, stuff snowballs fast in the league, right? And, you know, two or three bad nights in a row, you get no practice time, right? You got a second year second year with COVID coaching staff that was skating one day a week with these guys for 30 minutes, 
right? Which is the restrictions of what you could and couldn't do in the rink. And, um, you know, guys weren't training. And, you know, never mind the fact that you've got a bunch of young players, you know, on their own for the first time. They can't even walk across the street for dinner when they're not playing, right? You can't go into someone's hotel room on the road. These guys are creatures of habit and routine. Um, and they're, they're human beings, first and foremost, right? Everyone needs emotional interaction and stimulation other than playing Xbox and ordering room service, right? And, um, you know, 40-minute morning skate, then you're back in the hotel, can't see anyone, right? It was really, really challenging across the league, not just unique to, to Philadelphia, but you have a group of guys that, you know, get along great and they love doing stuff together, and you take that away, and then the losses start compounding and compounding, and, you know, it's hard to go to work, right? So, you know, call that a wash. I think it gave, you know, Chuck and Brent an opportunity to assess what they had and what they liked and didn't like, um, you know, in the room. And, and, and they, they did their best to change things, right? I, I don't think it takes a lot to see that they moved out some really vocal and, and beloved leaders and teammates, right, to replace with guys that can, you know, get them towards their mission to win the Stanley Cup, right? Um, you know, you don't trade a Jake Voracek for nothing, right? Um, unless you really believe that you need organizational change. And so, um, you know, Carter Hart puts a lot of pressure on himself uh, as a young goalie, right? And, you know, you'd have to assume he's going to bounce back. And you think everyone's going to revert to their mean a little bit, rather, right? Get back to where they know they're capable of playing when you have more time to get healthy and, you know, do stuff and be social and, you know, kind of live a, a, live a normal life. And so I don't think anyone was thrilled with the way, you know, that the, that the season went, but they're all expecting to come back motivated, healthy, and ready to go, right? They didn't make the playoffs. They were done playing in early May. And now they're not back until on the ice until the end of September, right? Camp starts a little bit later. Guys are healing and training, and, you know, it's, it's going to be different. It has to be different, um, you know, and it will be. And as far as, you know, young players disappointing, I, I would hesitate to throw, you know, that out there. I, I think that if anyone's disappointed, it's, it's those in themselves, right? Um, you know, saying, hey, I hold myself to a higher standard, right? And sometimes shit just doesn't go right, right? It's hard to win in the league. And, um, you know, you can, you, you can tinker here and tinker there and everyone's trying to win. And, you know, Brian Burke always says it, you know, on the, at the trade deadline, he goes, Hey, I called the league and they gave me the same answer. There's only one Stanley Cup. Right. So, um, you know, this is a group that has a core that's got a lot of runway left in it. Right. And some really, really good young emerging players like Joel Farabee and Cam York and these young guys and, and guys like Scott Lawton that are maturing into, you know, really versatile two way every night, 20 minute NHL guys. Um, that have some runway to go do it. And so it's not going to be done in a year. Like, look at Washington lost in spectacular ways for six years in a row, right? President's Trophy winner setting a record in the league of points to get out of the first round, right? It takes a long time. Look what Toronto does, right? They kill teams on a nightly basis. And you get to the playoffs and the mix isn't right because it's hard to win. And so it takes time to tinker and figure out what you have and guys are going to move around and you know, they moved Claude Giroux to the wing when Hackstall was here. It's probably the best thing he – it's probably his best lasting, you know, his parting gift to the team was moving G to the wing and let someone slot up, right? So it's these little things that take time to manifest. But no one wants to win more than the guys and win for each other. They don't do it for the coaches or us, right? They, they, they want to do it for each other because they believe they can. Um, and, you know, they're going to get there. But, you know, no one needs to tell them that they didn't get it done or had, you know, didn't have great years. They know it. And, you know, it's just it's internal pressure more than anything else to perform. And, um, you know, certainly guys have higher expectations for themselves. And I think they'll see that, you know, when they get back to camp, motivated and ready to go. Now, a quick follow-up to that. One of our uh, fellow panel members, uh, Nick Crisco, uh, a.k.a. Nicky Nuts, 
Um, his question is, what are your thoughts on Elaine Vigneault? And in particular, I guess the coaching staff, because we've had it, we've had issues and we've addressed it, that Vigneault's track record with younger players hasn't always been great. So where do you stand with this coaching regime? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know any of those guys, um, but, you know, the best coaches are the best communicators and they have a great feel for the temperature of their dressing room, right? And I think if people were going to be critical of the prior coaching regime, right, it's that Dave Haxtall came from uh, one of the best college hockey programs there is, University of North Dakota, you know, managing 18 to 22-year-old kids who were playing for, you know, textbook money and scholarship, right? You've got guys here playing for their livelihood and their jobs and their adults. Um, and they communicate in different ways. They have different needs. Um, you know, AV's taken three teams to the Stanley Cup final, right? Um, I think. Um, Rangers and Canucks. Rangers and Canucks. Okay. So two teams to the Stanley Cup final was a game away from winning in Van, right? And two games away from winning in New York. Um, I don't think Kevin Hayes is here without Elaine Vigneault, right? If you recall, they traded yeah. for Kevin's rights from Winnipeg. Um, and he played for AV in New York. And he's a big part of the reason I think that he's here. Um, Keith Yandel's probably not here if it's not for Kevin and Elaine Vigneault, who we played for in New York as well. Right. Um, you know, I, I get the sense, you know, talking to the guys that, you know, he motivates them the right way. He knows how to pull on the levers the right way. He knows when to go and he knows when to not. Um, and he wants to win just as bad, you know, as they do. Um, you know, around the edges, it's it's hard to have three head coaches on the bench in different roles, right? It takes a certain personality to be a head coach in the NHL. And then you're going to ask a guy to kind of revert to the good cop and that may not be in their DNA, right? And I think you saw it on the specialty teams this year, the regression on the power play, um, you know, and, and to an extent, you know, penalty kill, which used to be a point of pride, you know, how good they were, you know, dogged killing penalties, and it just didn't happen. And so I'm not one to say whether that mix is right or not. It's definitely different. Um, but, you know, I get the sense that they respect the group. They want to play for AV. Um, you see, like, they don't, you know, night in, night out, maybe you notice things, but that's a group that doesn't quit. It's really hard to go and play seven games and 12 nights or whatever they did to finish the year when you have no shot at getting in, right? And they left it all out there, and they do that for each other, but also for the group, right? And at the end of the day, it's Chuck's call. If he chose to keep them all, it would have been easy to say, hey, you know, you guys have, you know, we're going to make a change here or there. Um, but he's manifesting his belief that it's the right thing to do, and um, you know, we'll see, we'll see where it goes, but you know, who, if not AV, who else, right? Sometimes it's not, you know, the leader matters, but to an extent, right? And they, some nights they don't play for, for who's behind the bench, right? They're playing for G or whoever else is next to them or whatever it is. So, um, you know, it, it, it certainly is important. I think it's an improvement from, from the prior era. Um, you, know, you can see that and just the pace and the intensity at which they play and the fun that it looks like they're having, right? They don't go on these big 10-game slides and, um, you know, just get killed every night. So, um, you know, it's definitely different. But, again, just like finding the right player mix, it's a work in progress, right? You can't judge, you know, this early, I don't think. Yeah, we'll look at last year as a mulligan. <laughs> hope that it uh, we have a rebirth this year, especially with the new blood coming in. Vance. So, Matt, with the moves of the, that they've made in this past week, how much do you think that those moves have helped them? And secondly, um, do you think that they can bounce back? 
this season after the season that they had last year? Yeah, I think the I think the moves Vance help a lot. Um, you know, they address some glaring needs in uh, in the way that they play, and you never want to see good guys you know get sent out of town. And you know, I think of anyone that left town, you know, Shane Gossesbear is probably going to have the best bounce back. Right, he gets to go to a fresh start in an organization where he's going to be playing. You know, most likely first power play with Chikrin, and you know, gets to wheel and deal in the Western Conference. And you know, sometimes you just need a fresh start to, you know, put stuff into perspective, right? It's hard to be in and out of the lineup, and they were building a lineup some nights that wasn't based on having someone like Shane who can come in and wheel the net and move the puck, right? They went big, right? And you get guys like Sanheim and Myers and Moran to an extent that, you know, they all bring different attributes to the to the game, but they all look the same, right? And so now they've added things that have been organizational upgrades from a capabilities perspective, right? You get a Cam Atkinson in here that can fly, right? Well, they lack team speed, right? The teams that win can beat you any way you want. They can bang you. They can they can, they can play a speed game. They can score. Uh, you know, the Flyers didn't really have an identity. And so you bring in a Ryan Ellis who moves the puck. He's going to make Provorov better. Um, you know, should make the power play better. He's mean. as He's tough as nails. He's hard to play against. Um, you know, Cam Atkinson, you know, as I said before, scored 20 goals more than six times at a 40 goal season. He's on a great team friendly deal for term, right? They're all improvements. And so it's, it's just a matter of how quickly they gel. You hope Ristolainen, you know, has a bounce back year in a contract year. Maybe he's not under as much pressure to play 22 minutes a night, right? He can be a 13, 14 minute a night guy, um, you know, block shots and kill penalties and move pucks. Um, but, you know, to give, you have to get, and that's a team that was comfortable, Right, maybe a little bit too comfortable in the way that they were playing, and um, you know they're definitely shaking the scrabble bag, so to speak. And um, I will think they bounce back, Vance. And I think to me, it starts with Carter Hart, though. Um, you know, it's a what is he, 21 now, 22 year old kid. Um, you know, never really been away from home before. He's living by himself in the city. Um, you know, across the country from where he's from, and you know, sitting around in COVID is hard. Right? He spoke about it. Chuck spoke about it at the end of the year that. You know, COVID impacted a lot of these guys off the ice way more than it did on it, right? And, you know, social kid that, that likes to be around everybody and, you know, you're sitting around your apartment, you can only work out so much and play an Xbox and, you know, doing whatever. It's really hard to do that, never mind being a starting goaltender at 21 on a team that had a hard time, you know, keeping the puck out of themselves. So if he's able to bounce back and if they bring in, they can sign a, a real veteran presence to accompany him um, that can take the load off a little bit, right? just from a game perspective, um, you know, he's going to bounce back, right? You know, when he had his great first year, everyone was calling him the second coming of Patrick Waugh. Um, but the other, the detractors were saying, well, what if it's Steve Mason, right? Who won the Calder Trophy, played one more great year, sorry, Dan, and then went back to Columbus and never did it again, right? Mm -hmm. And so this organization has a history, whether it's fabricated or, you know, factual with goaltenders that they've had a hard time finding a franchise. Game. And so, he has all the trappings to do it, you know, before the season last year, I probably said he would have been the third goalie on Canada's Olympic team, right. Just to get him that experience like the USA did with John quick in 2010 and he got the keys in Sochi. Um, you know, why wouldn't they put him there? So, you know, he's, he's still learning. He's got plenty of time in front of him, um, you know, but you know, he's a young kid on a team that's got an older core. Um, you know, he's got to have a bounce back here if they want to have a chance. Got it. Great answer, Matt. And my last question to this is um, Morgan Frost is a guy that we've been waiting on for the last few years. He got injured last year. Um, what role do you see him potentially playing in this season? What, and what kind of impact do you think he could have on this team? 
Yeah, he's a guy I think they traded up to get in the first round, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was uh, – They gave him Shen. That's right. They shocked uh, – I think they shocked some folks going to get a player like Morgan Frost. Um, he's got all the tools in the world. It's just about – you know, we talked about it before, Vance. It's just about opportunity, right? Like where are his minutes going to come from? If a guy like Morgan Frost is playing in your bottom six, it's, it's not the best utility for his skill set, right? He scored – you know, he lit up the Ontario Hockey League for the Sioux, right? And he needs to be in a position to play 15, 18 minutes a night to have an impact over an 82-game season, right? You know, so often these young guys get called up and they play six minutes, two nights in a row, get to shower with the boys and go home. Like, that doesn't get you anything, right? Uh, you really got to give these guys a shot. Um, and so – you know, does he break camp with the team? Maybe. Um, but who's, whose spot does he take? Right. And you could say the same with a guy like Cam York, who they traded up to get, who I love. Right. I think he's a power play one quarterback, um, you know, broke the defenseman scoring record at the national team development program, was great at the University of Michigan, captain of the world junior team his second year, played the first year in world juniors injured. Um, you know, just Keith Yandel coming in on the one year deal right, probably on the third pair with Justin Braun, does that take Cam York's minutes? I don't know. Right. right. They're going to go have to earn it. It's going to settle out. And there's always injuries, right, and people have an opportunity to play above their role, right? But this team is in win-now mode. I think that's very apparent based on the moves that they made, sacrificing the first-round pick. Morgan Frost could be a great NHL player in three years. Is, is it going to be here, right? And so is he a guy that can contribute right now, or is he a guy that other teams are just as high on that goes and gets you something at the deadline? I don't know. Well, our hope is he takes that Joel Faraby-like jump. Yeah. Um, and, and Vance, quickly, share with Matt your your theory on the Yandel transaction. So I texted the guys earlier today, and my initial thought when I saw that the Flyers saw Keith Yandel, signed Keith Yandel, was that Travis Sanheim could potentially be on his way out. He's a restricted free agent, um, doesn't have a deal, and the Flyers could potentially move him for forward help. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think that's that's – that's possible. Um, they qualified him, I think, right? Um, I believe so. So, you know, they're high on him. They like him. They took him 17th overall, you know, for a reason. He was a guy that came out of nowhere in his draft year, right? I think it was his first year in the Western League, wasn't really on the radar, uh, let alone in the first round, and, you know, came and made Canada's World Junior Team, first-round pick. He's a great NHL player. Um, again, these guys, these guys are just young, right? They need time. And so – you know, a guy like Keith Yandel is, you know, NHL, knock on wood, NHL Ironman, you know, right now is a revered and beloved teammate in the locker room. Um, he's great for culture, which is very apparent that they were trying to change a little bit uh, with some of the moves that they made. Um, you know, you have to weigh the cost. So, like I said, hey, does, does that come at the expense of Cam York, right? And, you know, or is it at the expense of, hey, Cam York replaces Travis Santa? Right? There's definitely value for someone that plays the way that Sandy does. He's a big, long-ranging defenseman who can move the puck great offensively, hard to, you know, hard to play against, defense well, huge reach. Right. Sometimes guys just need to change the scenery. I'm not saying that's what he feels or what he needs, but you know, trying to manage you know, organizational assets is tough. And you know, Yandel's here on a one-year deal. Um, you know, I think first-rounders are given the benefit of the doubt as many times as possible. Not that Sandy needs to prove anything. He's already established himself as a, you know, a core top four NHL defenseman. Um, you know, maybe Keith Yandel helps a guy like Travis, um, you know, with, with the finer points, you know, of, uh, of, you know, refining his game at the NHL level. And, 
you know, they'll, they'll have to figure that out and, and find minutes for all of them. So my follow-up question to that, Matt, is do you think that there's, there's any way that they bring Keith Yandel here not to play? Because my, my thought was is that they bring him here and he's automatically slotted somewhere in that top six. No, he's going to play. He's going to play. I think, you know, right, it, it makes sense right off the bat on the third pair with Justin Braun, right, who's, uh, you know, stayed home, you know, puck eater, defensive defenseman, um, you know, who the guys really like being around. And, um, you know, Keith is the perfect yin to that yang, right? He moves pucks. He's great offensively, uh, great on the power play. Again, he's, he's revered and loved in the locker room, but everywhere he's played, um, you know, he, he's coming here to play. They're not doing anyone any favors. Um, you know, they're on the, they're on the clock. And I think he, he, he helps, you know, more than he hurts. And, you know, maybe he's uh, at this stage in his, you know, career, maybe he's a 14 minute a night guy, not a 22 minute a night guy. Right. But you know, that he's going to have to dictate that with, with how he plays. Right. Matt, speaking to players that are not likely to start uh, with the flyers that are in the system at some point, whether Lehigh or, or college or juniors, um, our show gets excited about players like Ronnie Adderd and Bobby Frank and Tyson Forster and, and Elliot Denoyers. Anyone in the system, like any of those players really excite you or is there anybody else that excites you? What, what, can the, what can the fan base look forward to beyond this year and next year as the team starts to grow um, with younger players in the next few years? Yeah, you know, uh, that's a great question. They've got some, some really intriguing, definitely NHL-capable players, I think, in Lehigh and Cummins. Um, you know, Tyson Forster is, is, is high end, um, you know, where he slots at the NHL level to start. I'm not sure he's, he, he's raw. Um, he's a couple years away for sure. I'm sure he'll light up Barry when he goes back to the OHL. Um, you know, Ronnie Adder's a guy that played for us in Tri-City in the USHL. Um, you know, he definitely has, a, he definitely has a chance. Uh, I think he was drafted in his last year of eligibility in the third round, which is pretty high, um, you know, for, for, for a double bounce back. Um, you know, Wade Allison proved at the end of the year that he's ready to be a full-time NHL player. Um, just a tenacious dog on a bone identity type guy that they've kind of lacked over the years. Right. I think, um, you know, he's a guy that's going to, I think he breaks camp, you know, with the big team. Um, you know, Bobby Brink is, is an exceptional prospect in terms of his ability to try to translate in a certain role to the next level. Right. I, I, think, I don't right. say, you know, in the sense that like this kid's a generational elite skill, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, he's got a useful life, you know, as an NHL player in the right spot. Um, and there was one other that uh, that's escaping Elliot, me. Elliot Denoyer? Pardon me? Elliot Denoyer, anything on him? I don't, I'm not familiar as much with him, Nick. Um, you know, I know he's from Moncton, but, um, you know, don't, don't, don't see much of that. Um, right. you know, I think a lot of these guys are going to determine their own fate with how they play in the American Um you know, and, and what the team feels is the best need, you know, kind of going forward, how they want to bring guys into the mix. Um, you know, I think if you ask some guys around the league, um, you know, what what they could do, you know, from a role player perspective in Philly, uh, I think it's stability in that bottom six, definitely in the bottom three, right? You got guys that have been moving up and down the depth chart. They're mixing and matching and all that stuff, right? Those guys need cohesive. Right. It's not easy to be a guy that plays six minutes a night, and doesn't break a sweat um, and then get thrown up into a higher level and have to go play 15. Right. Let's get guys that know what they are and they know their role right early and they go be the best role player that they can be. That's who you win with. Right. 
Like you look at a guy in Wash. I'm a, I grew up a Washington Capitals fan, right? You look at a guy like Chandler Stevenson, right? Who's a third round pick out of the Western League, Regina, I think. Um, they don't sniff a Stanley Cup run without him, Barzeller, and a couple of Devontae Smith Pelly on the third and fourth line that year they made that run, right? And Chandler Stevenson's never going to be a top six player there because they've got 46 million bucks in payroll across those six forwards. And he goes to Vegas this year and scores 40 points, right? It's just about opportunity, right? That guy was playing a slot down. He knew he was more capable, right? Um, and that helped that team win the Stanley Cup because he knew his role and he embraced his role and he was going to be the best at it. Um, you know, Devontae Smith probably scored seven goals, I think, in that playoff run and played 10 minutes a night, right? And so who was going to step up in the Flyers organization and be that, you know, eight to 10 minutes a night, but, you know, balls to the wall, hard to play against and just be the best guy at that. Uh, I don't know if they've had that for a while. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to find those guys. You know, you look at a guy, he's going back to school this year for his final year at Duluth, Noah Cates. Um, you know, fourth round pick, I think, out of Omaha in the USHL. Um, you know, great player in his own right. His first world junior was okay. He goes to the second one. Guys are like, who's this guy? Right. And now he's going to look like a steal in the fourth round. He's going to go back and be one of the best players in the NCHC this year at Duluth. They just signed his brother Jackson, um, you know, last off season. Noah Cates is going to be a guy that comes in here and makes an impact right away, right away in that, in that bottom six role. Right. And if he's, if he's pushing up to the top six, it means he's either doing his job really well or someone is, is not right. But, you know, you win, you win with guys like that, the guys that get you there, right? And then there's guys that get you through it, and it's, it's that dedicated, you know, kind of bottom six, beat you up grinder that they've kind of lacked, um, you know, in the past. There's just been a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of lineup jumble and I think some stability down there, and it starts with those types of Wade Allisons of the world that can come in. And, yeah, they were great junior players and scored a lot in college, but in the NHL they're you know, banging your heart off the glass and scoring goals from two feet in front of the blue paint. And that's who you win with. All right. So with the fifth pick in the 2021 NFL, the fifth round, the Flyers took Ty Murchison. And in the sixth round, they took Ethan Sampson, both D-men. Your thoughts on both of those players? Yeah, Murchison's a guy. I think I said earlier. I, I thought some people weren't sure that maybe he was even going to be uh, that he was even going to be drafted. Um, you know, didn't necessarily light it up. You know, at the U.S. program, but you know that that team is is stacked for a reason, and he plays a useful role. Um, you know, depth player. You know, if he pans out in the fifth round, you know, it's a it's a home run, right? Uh, but he's he's not going to be your power play quarterback. Um, he's not going to be a 15 point a year guy in NHL most likely, um, you know, but as an organizational asset, you know, maybe, and I think, you know, Samson, the same thing from Prince George, um, you know, more of a, you know, stay at home, you know, not flashy, you know, kind of guy that, you know, if he works out great, they, they obviously like, you know, like certain characteristics about him. And, uh, I don't know him as a kid and don't, you know, don't know what drives him and motivates him and maybe he's going to get there at any cost, but. You know, on the surface, you know, I wouldn't say that those guys are, you know, jumping in in three years and, and, and wowing. Yeah, the, I, I, I read somewhere that the only <laughs> – this guy might have been a pessimistic writer. He was like the only slam dunk the Flyers had was their second – was their own – the first pick the sec, in the second round. The, the Samu the Tamalu. Ta yeah, yeah, I mean – how, how do you say his name, Vance? Samu, Samu Tumal. Tumal. Yeah, yeah, I made him Samoan. I would not, <laughs> hey, I, I wouldn't overlook Owen McLaughlin in the seventh round. 
Local kid. Yeah. Local no, kid. Not him, man. That played at Mount St. Charles. Um, going to go to Sioux City in the USHL, I think. Um, you know, big kid, versatile. Um, he's got a shot to play. I watched him a ton when he played for Valley Forge, you know, growing up. And, yeah, um, you know, played some games with the national team development program this year and some spot duty. And, um, you know, as an 03, you know, one-year bounce back, why not take a shot? He's going to be a four-year college player, right? You know, it, it, drafting philosophy is interesting, right? You can take just with how the agreements work, right? So if I was a team that was stacked on my NHL group for a long time and, were, you know, American League, okay, um, I'm taking a bunch of college kids that are going to get four years to develop. And, you know, now I have their rights rather than having to go bid for them, right? Every year you get you hear about these kids that are, you know, oh, my God, the bidding war for Jimmy Vesey or the bidding war for, you know, pick a guy, right? And, you know, good on you if you, you know, most of the time, those teams, well, not most of the time, I guess, but, you know, sometimes those teams get rewarded for their loyalty four years prior for taking a shot. And so if old McLaughlin plays NHL games, it's an absolute home run for the scouting staff because he was the seventh-round pick, 200-and-somethingth overall. And if he doesn't, it's another seventh-rounder that had the honor of being drafted in the National Hockey League and had a great college career and is moving on with his life, right? But I can't right? to play. Penn State, going to Penn State? That's right. So, Matt, we pretty much ask every guest that we have on the show, you know, what they think about Carter Hart. Is he the real deal? And secondly, do you think he bounces back this year? And I've been saying I've been pretty consistent with this. You know, I know that he had a pretty bad year, but I think the problems were multifaceted. I think the problems were just as much in front of him as him himself. So what's your take on that? Yeah, I think you nailed it with that assessment, Vance. I mean, it's not, you know, he, he didn't have much help in front of him, right? And he didn't get a lot of run support either from the forward group, right? That was a team that, you know, they don't they don't play much in transition because they didn't have the team speed across the board to to get guys moving back, and they didn't have a trigger man that was going to pull it from anywhere. I don't think they had a forty goal scorer in an eighty two game season. Um, I think he's going to bounce back. He's twenty three years old. Um, you know, was an unbelievable junior goalie in Everett. Um, like I said, you know. If you asked me before the start of last year, he's probably Canada's third goalie on the Olympic team. Um, you know, the group in front of him looks a little bit different, and no one's more motivated than he is to turn it around, right? Goalies are hard on themselves inherently. He's in a contract year. Um, they have all the faith in the world in him, right? Um, you know, they're going to invest every resource they can into to making sure he bounces back. And I think that starts with a, a veteran, you know, kind of 1A to support him um, you know, on the ice, but also off the ice as it, as it matures as a young man. Um, but I, I do think he's going to bounce back. I think the team looks different in front of him. They're motivated to show that last year wasn't really who they are. They're more like the team from two years ago that was on a great run before the season got stopped. And, um, you know, you got to give the guy the benefit of the doubt because, you know, quite honestly, there's not much behind him, right? Like he's their guy for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, the goalie market is, you know, is what it is. And, you know, it's an interesting comp would be someone like a Spencer Knight, right? He came in to Florida, hair on fire, played great in his spot duty, great internationally for USA, you know, 10th overall pick or 11th overall pick, whatever it was to Florida. Um, you know, he's going to have bad nights, right? The problem is in a 50-whatever game season that's shortened, you get three or four bad nights in a row and you're 23 in your hotel room by yourself across halfway across the country from your family, those, those compound on each other. Right. So I think a sense of normalcy and camaraderie back in a regular type season, we hope um, that it's, it's regular, um, is going to is going to result in him bouncing back in a big way. 
Matt, are there any other goalies in the Flyers pipeline that you like? Like, you know, if you look around the NHL, there were a few goalie duos last year that were a pretty young tandem. Do you yeah. think that there's anyone in the Flyers pipeline that could step up and be that second guy in the next few years? Yeah, you hear about Felix Sandstrom a lot. He was taken in the draft before Carter Hart the year before, I think, in the third round from Sweden. Um, but, you know, I, I think their solution is going to come from outside the organization. Um, you know, whether it's uh, a marginally high profile free agent signing as someone as a mentor, uh, you know, for Carter, or you really go like a legit one, two or one, one, a, like Vegas did with flurry and, um, you know, flurry and letter, um, you know, or you look at what, uh, what Vancouver had with Corey Schneider and Roberto Luong, right. But those, those flame out fast, right. Because you want to be the guy, right. You win the Jennings trophy. That's great. But you want to be the guy getting the tap. And so, um, you know, I don't know if the answer advance is, is internal, um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're going to try. And I think it's, I, I think it's going to come from outside the organization. Someone like a Jonathan Bernier uh, or Peter Morazic or someone like that can come in and just be, you know, a mentor, but also carry the load when he has to, if he has to. Perfect. Last draft question for me, and it's not, it's not about this previous draft, this past draft, it, Everybody seems to be excited about next year and even more so the year after that. Um, what can you tell us about what we could expect for, for 22? Uh, and really, I think what I'm most interested in, which is a few years away, is 23. Yeah, you know, the top of the draft next year is, is really, really good, right? I mean, everyone knows the name Shane Wright. Um, you know, plays in Kingston in the OHL, was given exceptional status, um, you know, uh, Lambert from, I, I forget his first name, from, uh, from Brad Lambert from Finland, uh, you know, was played on their world junior team at 15. Um, we've got the Russian Moroshnachenko who scored a million points at the Junior Olympics um, and played in the KHL last year. Um, you know, Carter Savoy out of the Western League is another exceptional status mm -hmm. player. Um, him and Shane Wright went toe-to-toe -to -toe at the World Selects, which is a, a midget tournament here in, in, in Philly. It was, it was awesome to watch as underage players. Um, you know, Rucker McGrory from the U.S. program is an absolute horse. Um, that U18 team is loaded. Uh, the top of that U18 team is an absolute wagon this year coming up. Um, but I think, um, you know, to your point, you know, the, the eyes are on 23 with Connor Bedard uh, out of the Western League and uh, Matt Bay Michkov, you know, out of Russia. But, um, you know, it, 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 it changes, right? Um, you know, Atu Rati was supposed to go first overall this time last yeah. year. And he went in the second round. So, um, you know, these are these guys for next year are more, you know, kind of can't miss generational guys, right? Shane Wright's exceptional to watch. You know, Lambert has really, really good tools. Morosnichenko is a star. He was supposed to come to the USHL this year and play uh, before COVID kind of shut it down. Um, you know, Rucker McGordy is, is awesome, like awesome, awesome. Um, there's a lot to like, um, you know, but. You know, Charlie Strammel is an 04 on that U18 team next year. He's not eligible until 23. He's at World Junior Camp right now as a double underage. He's 6'3", 215, 220. He's a monster. He'll challenge for that top, you know, top 10 spot, um, you know, two years from now. And so there's a lot to get excited about. These kids are so damn good now at such a young age. Um, you know, and the best ones still find a way to balance it out. They're not glued to the skates, you know, 12 months a year. And, um, you know, it's really fun to watch. And every year, you know, you go to these ranks and you're blown away at the international level how much better these kids are than they were the year prior. And um, what amazes you even more is that how good some of the players are. You know, you go to an OHL game, you know, pick a city, how good some of the players are that, that don't make it, right? 
you're like, God, what is, what is it about that kid that's going to prevent him from making the NHL because he's been awesome tonight or whatever. So, um, but yeah, definitely more excitement in the next two years, I think, than there was, you know, at the top of this, at the top of this one anyway, but uh, they've got to do the work. So we'll see. We just get to sit here and, 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 and watch. <laughs> All right, I guess our final draft question before we have a little fun. Yeah. Um, was there any team that jumped out at you that had a really great draft grade and perhaps a team that did poorly in the draft? And since we're provincial, how did the Flyers do in your opinion? Yeah, um, I think L.A. had a great draft. They only had four picks. They were all in the top 100, though. They kept moving up, acquiring, trading, moving down. They had a good draft. Um, I think Columbus killed it. Um, you know, they drafted a bunch of great players. Um, Ken Johnson at five out of University of Michigan, four or five, um, you know, may have been viewed, you know, as a reach. But um, between him and Chaz Lucius, who went to Winnipeg, he's a guy that fell later, too, um, than I thought he would. Uh, you know, the best skill, you know, up front in the draft. He just needs to get a little bit stronger. He'll do that at Michigan. Um, you know, it's so hard so early, right? You can look at a team like Minnesota. They had three great – their first three picks were great. They traded up to get the goalie from, from Sweden. They drafted Jack Pert from, you know, from Minnesota. Mr. Hockey in the second round is going to be a great stay-at-home defenseman. Um, you know, but it, it, it's early yet, right? And, and these guys have to go and earn it. Um, there were some teams that had some befuddling, like, what the heck are you doing? Um, you know, type type things, too. You know, I'm a lifelong Washington Caps fan. and They definitely have a type, uh, it seems, lately, drafting some of these more, you know, kind of stay-at-home, you know, not a lot of offensive upside defensemen. But – they want to stay on the cup by having like 12 picks in the first round, make their team and be superstars. Right. So it just depends on how you want to build your team and what you're drafting for. These kids may make it, they may not, um, you know, it's up to them to, to do the work. And, you know, from the flyers perspective, it's too early to tell, right. You would have been really excited to get a player like a Lucius or a Coronado in the first round that are going to be a few years away and go to college and come in ready to make a bite, um, you know, at the NHL level right away, like Joel Farabee did. Um, you know, those are guys you can build a winning group around, but you know, Hey, draft picks are capital and, you know, they turn that into a, into an asset that hopefully helps them, you know, stay on course to, to win. And, you know, I think in the later rounds, it's, you know, best player available on the list and it's up to them to go do the work and they put it in the hands of the development staff. Right. And, and, and see what you have, but it's a, it's a long ladder to climb to get to the NHL and that organization just based on some of the depth in Allentown or Lehigh Valley. And, um, you know, some of these kids hit great. If not, they, they contribute to the American League level. That's important, too. Um, but, you know, they, they've still got college free agents. And I think this team's still going to look a little bit different than they do today when they start the season in October. So, um, you know, we'll see. But Samu Tuamala was a steal in the second round. So we yeah, second round, he had, he had a bunch of first-round grades on him, and he's uh, he plays the game the right way. So I think guys can get excited about him. And he's probably two or three years away from, from making it happen. But – He's going to play in the World Junior this year, and uh, you know, hopefully, get uh, continue to get better with age and make an impact, you know, as a youngster here in the Flyers. All right, so now it's time for a little fun bit that we have. Vance, what time is it? It's time for the penalty box. Just never gets old. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. Matt, we have a fun segment called the Penalty Box, yeah. and as I tell all our guests, it's topics that are not necessarily um, happening right now. We've discussed uh, tough guys. A top that you, a topic that you would have loved, we did uh, a couple times was draft redos. 
Oh, yeah. So stuff like that, our favorite jerseys, our least favorite jerseys. Right. But to stay on theme, I was I was struggling. I'm like, guys, what's a good penalty box topic? And I'm not sure if we, we were on a chain together. I'm not sure if it was Vance or Nick. And one of them shot out draft day steals. I'm like, ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. And then I'm like, all right, guys, you you, you got to tell me your guy. And, and within three seconds, they're each shooting me their guy. And I had my guy. And then I put this together. So these would be draft steals. Yep. Wow. Now, now I'll start off with um, Brett Hall. Brett Hall was taken in the sixth round. And honestly, if his name was Brett Jones, who knows what round he would have been taken in. Am I correct? <laughs> so so what does Brett Hall do uh, in his uh, long career? Only score 741 goals, fourth overall, all time. Winner of two Stanley Cups. Just an absolute pure sniper. So I believe it's safe to say that Brett Hall in the sixth round was a draft day steal. And honestly, he was traded for um, Rob Ramage when uh, Calgary was making a Stanley Cup run, and he went to the Blues, and then he took off with, uh, you know, was the Hall and Oates line for many years. But that trade, you know, might have pushed the the Flames over the top to win the Cup by getting Rob Ramage. So, but he went on to have a prolific year uh, prolific years with St. Louis mostly uh won a cup with Dallas and Detroit as well my selection is a draft day steal Brett Hall the time you is your you want to hear a funny Brett Hall story oh absolutely absolutely uh i forget what year it was i think he was in St. Louis uh it was definitely St. Louis now that i look at it shows up for a preseason physical or whatever back then it was when guys were using camp to get in shape not coming in shape right to make the team and like, oh, you probably got to do your pull-ups or your bench press or whatever. And he goes to the trainer. He goes, you see this? Like, raising his hands like he scored a goal. And he goes, I did that 86 times last year. <laughs> right? Just like an old school, would never fly now, but just, you know, legendary story. Yeah, I, I, for, I forgot to uh, – I think he averaged like 41 goals a year for his entire career, and he had some monster years as you just referenced three, three years in a row over seven yeah so he, he took advantage of the, those uh late 80 early 90 years where goal scoring was done just rolling out of bed scoring pucks with slap shots on the ice from the neutral zone yeah so nick yeah i i have uh i have luke robitai i you talk about steals. You know, you get the big vault. You open it up. The big, the big <laughs> one. That's the biggest steals you can get. Ninth round, ninth round pick. Uh, he came out of the queue um, in his first season. I think it was 1986-87, and um, he, he amassed over 1,400 points in his career. Um, he scored uh, eight straight. Uh, he had eight straight 40 goal seasons coming in uh, from his rookie season in 1986 and moving forward. Um, you know, drafted by the Kings in the ninth round, 171st overall. You can't you can't deny his greatness. Um, and you know, to, to be able to pick him in the ninth in the uh, in the ninth round was absolutely highway robbery. I mean, he's, he's like I said, he scored 40 goals in each of his first seasons, and I think he had 150 and 160 uh, goal seasons. Um, over that span. So, um, 
Yeah, he, he's my pick. Uh, he was he was a complete. I, I loved you know growing watching him play in L.A. was just, just it was just amazing. It was just it was so awesome. Um, it was just such a phenomenal player. Uh, Night round, incredible. Vance. So my guy is Pavel Datsuk. Uh, Pavel Datsuk went in the sixth round of the 1998 draft, uh, number 171 overall. Um, actually didn't get picked in the 96 and 97 draft at all. And the Detroit uh, director of scouting at the time believes that he's the only director of scouting or the only scout that saw him play before he reached the NHL level. So safe to say Detroit got a steal there. Um, one of the best two-way forwards of all time. Uh, Three-time Selkie winner. Uh, four-time All-Star, two-time Stanley Cup winner. And he actually has moves named after him. They still consider moves in the NHL Datsukian, right? Isn't that what yeah. they say? Yeah. So, yeah, a great player. And, you know, to top it off, they go and get Hen Henrik Zetterberg the next year pretty much in the same spot two years in a row. That works. Now, before, before we close the segment off with Matt's guy, uh, I just want to – throw out some other names that aren't on the list but there's the reason the reason Matt's guys up there we'll, we'll talk about very shortly but Mark Recchi went in the fourth round Daniel Alfredson went in the sixth round Henrik Zetterberg just mentioned went in the sixth round King Henry went in the eighth round the same year that DPH mm. was taken number one overall Doug Gilmore went in the seventh round and I believe Dominic Hasek was a very late round pick. Eight, yeah, he was like eight, I think. Right, but right. sometimes those guys, um, you you don't count because they were, they were flyers because they were European players back in the day, and you didn't know if they were coming over. But some of the other ones I just mentioned, flat out steals. Now, what do how you about, have? How about how about this one for you too? Right, like there, you talk about just how you view drafts and value, right? I would argue that Ryan O'Reilly is one of the best steals of the draft, thirty third overall, right? In a load in a loaded draft, Tavares, Duchesne, Hedman, right? Thirty right. third overall makes the NHL as a rookie out of Erie. He was the first overall pick in the OHL draft. Taylor Hall went second to Windsor. Um, you know, Con Smythe winner, Stanley Cup winner, Lady Bang. Um, you know, second in games played in his draft, second in points at thirty three. That's you know that 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 talk about top ticking value, right? And you know how different would Buffalo look? By the way, on the we talk about trades and draft picks. Right. When Buffalo met at their mid-year meetings two years ago, they had a first round pick from St. Louis for the O'Reilly trade. That was second overall or first overall. St. Louis is the worst team in the league. Then they go win the Stanley Cup. Right. So Buffalo wins that lottery. They're picking one and six. They get Caco or Hughes and Dylan Cousins in a draft. And now it's a fire sale. Right. So it's yeah. just funny, how, funny how these guys move around and how fortunes move, you know, so fast. But, you know, these late round picks are great too. But it's like, wow, well, how does a guy like Ryan O'Reilly you know, fall to 33. All right. Well, we'll close this segment out with uh, a guy I think you know pretty well. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Quick, third round, uh, LA Kings, 2005, uh, 72nd overall, I believe. Um, Jonathan was a teammate of mine at Avon Old Farms for two years. Um, just an unbelievable kid, um, salt of the earth, quiet, humble, um, you know, you, you never know seeing him now that, you know, he's as accomplished as he is, um, you know, 600 plus 650 plus games played in the league, two Stanley cups, Conn Smythe trophy, um, you know, one of Jennings trophy, 
Um, I think he should be a Vesna winner at least once in his career. He leads the record for uh, shutouts by a U.S. goaltender. Um, I think he walks right into the Hall of Fame. Uh, we debate it all the time. I'm definitely biased, but um, you know he saved a Kings franchise that had Jason LaBarbera, you know, in front of him, right? And so um, you know you look at what they were able to do in 2012 and 2014. Um, you know when you listen to interviews around those Cup teams, and they all say. You know, Richards, Carter, all Drew Doughty, all these guys, Kopitar. If I had one game seven to play in the rest of my life, I want a 2012 or 2014 Jonathan Quick behind me in that. I mean, just unbelievable. When they won in 2012, I think they were the eight seed. And they came back from down 0-3 in the first round against Vancouver or San Jose, I think. That's right. Um, and then in 14, they just steamrolled everybody. So, um, you know, really, really proud to, to know him, still see him. When he comes to town, either here or Jersey or New York, and, um, you know, we have a pretty close group that we all played with together at Avon, and it's um, it's been fun to watch his career from afar, um, you know, and it's fun to have a rooting interest out there, and, um, you know, no one's no one's earned it more than he has, and just a dogged worker, and, um, you know, it's been uh, it's been a real treat to, to kind of ride and, and, and watch him go. Well, we knew you'd like that selection. Yeah. Uh, so That was leading the witness a little bit there. Yeah, but, but yeah. hey. He still was a steal in the third round. He's a, he's a fantastic yeah, you know, you know, you know who the first goalie taken overall in that draft was? In 05? Hmm. No. Carey Price. Oh, okay. Fifth overall. So come out of a draft with Carey Price and Jonathan Quick in the top. That's pretty good. I'm still waiting for Trevor Kidd to get good. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of Nick Tosti, Vance Crew, uh, I, I, I want to thank Matt for joining Flyer and Ice. Matt, you have an open invite. Uh, you were awesome. The knowledge was knocked out of the ballpark. Please follow Flyer and Ice on YouTube. We're on all socials. You can view our shows uh, throughout the week. We'll be on all socials visually, and we're going to be on Spotify, iHeart, Apple, Google Podcast all those streaming sites um, probably in a few hours. So on behalf of the Flyer and Ice team, I am Dan Green. We will probably see you in a few weeks. Take care, everyone. Have a great rest of your summer. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matt.